0: Yo, welcome to the Wear Wet podcast, where we are discussing, dissecting, and just all around, uh, man, celebrating the Revelation yeah. Records discography in chronological order. And today we're on mystical number 23. Jason, what do we got on this episode?
1: Du Ray and Purcell seven inch two songs fame broken glass
0: polarizing record apparently i didn't i didn't realize it was so polarizing until i read some comments on a uh, story about it on no echo mm-hmm. um and which you can if you just google the words no echo ray and porcel this will be the first thing that comes up and i highly recommend. Uh, we did it as part of our homework for you know studying about this record because we like to do our homework, and uh, the comment section in that story is something else, but we we won 't really touch on that too much i do I do speak about the um, the story quite a bit because there really was a lot of good information and quotes in that story, and just no echo in general is a great outlet um carlos is a great dude we mm-hmm. are uh some of us here on this podcast are patreon supporters of no echo and just all around supporters of no echo so i've um, done a few
2: pieces too for no echo
0: i've written um, some stuff i wrote yeah. a piece about bloodlet which was very fun to do yeah
2: i did the i did one with a. Uh, Rev alumni, so it's topical. Uh, Jeff Caudill from Game Face,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, we talked about when he did the, uh, his R.E.M. covers EP mm. uh, that went to like cancer charity.
0: That is okay. just so many things you like wrapped in one. I know. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> it truly is. <laughs> and
2: I did a piece on our, our friend and previous guest, uh, Balaram Shakti, mm. I did for uh, Out of Body when they did a, an EP a couple years back. Mm-hmm. So. Great. Yeah, no echo. Great site. I love it cuz yeah.
0: you know, sometimes it's
2: not, I I I like I like to listen to podcasts, but I also like to read.
0: So I don't I don't really enjoy reading very much anymore, uh, except for I read Warhammer books cuz I'm uh, I feel like I
2: just read stuff for this. That's and it.
0: yeah, and and I I try to do some homework for this podcast, but I just I used to read a ton of blogs. Yeah. Um, I used to scour the internet for blogs about that had MP3s of rare stuff blogged and quartered. We talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some. Uh, it seems like there's a lot. I, I still, I still mine uh, blogs for MP3s from time to time. There's a lot of active ones or semi-active ones from South America. Um, but I think honestly that Pinterest drove me away from reading stuff because I'd be like. Just give me this fucking recipe for vegan <laughs> relish cheese, and I don't want to hear about your family getaway. Oh, man. You know what I mean? So um, so you're not currently reading anything now? I am reading currently, this is a really long title, The Horus Heresy, Siege of Terra, The Solar War by John French. It's book one of five so far in the Siege of Terra books of, uh, for Warhammer. So that's the kind of shit that I read. Yeah, I'm reading – I figured I'll throw – I'm reading
2: um, a book by Greg Prado, Prado uh,
0: that I learned Prado. of – Prado, is it? Well, I mean that if you're if – it's a, it's a Spanish name. so uh, that's that, that I learned Prado. from
2: Mojack. You don't know mm-hmm. Mojack, which is one of our big influences for this pod. Uh, it's a book about bad brains. Oh, oh
0: nice. Uh, yeah, I did hear them Hold talk on. about it in the bad brains episode. What's the name uh, of the yeah. book?
2: Um, you talk. You say something then, Hav.
1: Fill this. (laughs) Fill this. fill this dead air, brother. Yeah. Um, The only the only book that I've been reading.
2: It's called Punk. Exclamation point. Hard. Oh, okay. Exclamation point. Reggae. Exclamation point. PMA. Exclamation point. Bad brains. I have heard that one. And it's by Greg Prado. It's it's cool. It's it's very like. Yeah. It's it's um. You know it's it's pretty like diy it seems like he just kind of like you know did his own thing but it's cool and there's there's a lot of um it's like there's some oral history stuff because i read another book of his years ago grunge is dead and it was like an oral history and i, I always like those did it's you read format. the
0: finding joseph i yes i
2: have that too that's i by, haven't uh, read the
0: book i've only seen them saw the movie yeah yep. it looks great i saw howie abrams theater. did it uh, yeah. The theater that I saw in Long Beach. Um, do they do a
1: live interview panel with HR yes, and some other the HR people? HR was there.
0: So? The director was there. I don't think that H- HR didn't really speak too much, but the director spoke and okay. a couple other people. And there was some question and answer, but it, it was really cool.
1: Nice. Oh, read, Jason, you I, were saying, what are you reading, bud? Oh, I mean, really, I got to be honest with you. Lord, forgive me. I don't really read too much, but I did read Trainwrecks and Transcendence that we talked about, Vic Takara's book, and I really enjoyed reading that. And also, when we first started doing this podcast, and both Greg and Hav were, were referencing Record Aficionado, I said, should I get that book? And you guys said, yeah, it's a must-have. So this is uh, the reason I'm bringing it up is because the Ray and Porcell seven-inch is the last uh, record covered in our journey so far. We're gonna skip forward to it. What what releases the last great C? Yeah, One hundred eight.
0: So it, it's in the book. It has Ray and Porcel self-titled. Then he jumps to Burn Last Great C because he just says that's his favorite red red, red record, and Fair. then he features judge chunking can suck it and then there's also a two-page letter that jordan wrote um to mrr right to yeah to mrr about the judge chunking can suck it record and it's very uh it's a very (laughs) cool yeah i read that and then he's got the youth of today can't close my eyes and then there's pictures of some stickers some crack and peel stuff and so, just some other stuff. So this will be, uh, man, what are we going to do next episode when we don't yeah. have this to to start referencing? We're going to have to do our own homework. Jeez. Yeah, we have to, yeah, we're on our own. Um, so, yeah, uh, and I feel like we've never spoken to uh, uh, the people from a record, record aficionado about this. Yeah, we've never spoken to them about that. So maybe... One of these days we could do that as a bit of bonus episode,
1: yeah, which would you would be to. able
0: to access if you go to www.whereitwentpodcast.com and learn all about our Patreon, where you get tons of bonus uh, content, yeah. like, like deep discography dives, having my say's. Uh, Yeah, we just
2: did the shelter discography dive, and then uh, uh, are we allowed to say what our next discography dive is? We won't say the guest. Well, we
0: did the shelter with Ryan Rainbow, uh, star of Stage and Screen, and the Meep Meep podcast. And Mm -hmm. then our next discography challenge will be with 108. And we don't know who will be on Wink. Well, we or, know, but we're not yeah, going to tell you. You'll tell. have to, and that'll be a Patreon. A patron. Yeah. Yes. Um, so before we get into number twenty-three, I think that we need to
2: <laughs> Uh bit at Bow to this episode sponsor. It's Alive Records, um, based out of uh, Oxnard, California. Um, done by Fred Hammer. I'm sure you've seen his name all over, like old school, you know, 80s and 90s stuff. Um, it's Alive Records have releases that you can get through RevHQ.com. Um, and also he's selling things on uh, through his Instagram, which is at It's Alive Fanzine. And, uh, you know, I was looking through some of the – like a lot of cool releases – Javier, he did a um, Unity Blood Days reissue, looks like, which we know you love that one.
0: I do love that record, yes. Um,
2: He did a, he repressed recently one of my favorite records from the 90s, uh, especially being from the Philadelphia area, is uh, the the debut EP Body Bag by the band Rain on the Parade. Mm -hmm. Uh, That band (laughs) was a huge influence on me. Uh, just on a personal level, like that was what kind of made me start playing in bands because I was able to play along to their uh, record. Um, Annihilation Time stuff, uh, MAD record that's like pre-blast. So just lots of cool stuff. And you can find it on uh, his Instagram and on RevHQ. So Bit of Botu, It's Alive. Yeah, growing
0: up in Southern California, Fred Hammer was a a fixture at Hardcore Mm -hmm. Gigs, and I remember seeing him, seeing him with his camera, and if you look on Discogs, you can see he contributed to a lot of records. I mean, uh, he was a very important figure in the Nardcore scene, Uh, that is Hardcore from Oxnard, California, Bit at Boat also to 185 Miles South podcast, and Zach Oxnard who also played guitar in a band called In Control, which I fucking love. And they had a record on indec- a couple records on Indecision, but That's right. uh, one, um, The Truth Hurts. Uh, but anyway, Fred Hammer contributed to their other record on Indecision another year. There's a uh, Dim Mock Records to kind of spin into the weeds a little bit deeper, which was run by Steve Aoki who lived at the Pickle Patch and helped run that. The Pickle Patch had a live CD compilation um, that has some really cool stuff, including a unreal disembodied recording of the song, Forget Me. I know this is is deep shinfo, (laughs) but um, anyway. We love that stuff, man. Yeah, a bit of bow to that whole scene. Um, Yeah. um, Also, um, it's a live fanzine. If you could ever track down any of that fanzine. Um, My dude, Dave Ito, a few years ago, gave me a box of old flyers and it had a bunch of like artwork and like really random stuff in there. And there was a few issues of It's Alive in that box. And um, it's really, really cool. So check out what Fred Hammer is doing. I feel like he also did a book, but unfortunately I don't, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. So okay.
2: yeah, same. Um, I know that uh, Annihilation Time, they recently reissued, uh, I believe the first record okay. and our buddy Bej, Ben Merlis, did liner notes for it. Mm. This
1: is the one that um, Raymond Pettibone did the artwork for.
2: Yes. So cool. um I just remembered seeing Fred's name all over like the Live Wire board. This is going mm-hmm. way back, you know, 20 years Um and the Rev board. So even
0: before that, yeah. So uh yeah, oh, huh. Oddly enough, if you go to RevHQ.com, there is a 100-page book by Fred Hammer called Take the Manic Ride. So, uh that, that really out. just ties everything together and you go Fred nice. Hammer, RevHQ. um It's a live fanzine. Yeah, it's a live respect. Uh, oh, actually it's out of stock on RevHQ, but maybe if all of the parties that are involved in this can hear it or if you can track one down on ebay like some of the people on this podcast have had to do with other books that we've covered, <laughs> yeah very true right <laughs> shout out to norman brandon and antimatter yes yeah and I schism,
2: think so. right a pretty penny
1: right and schism Jason. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i couldn't find so i i've ordered the schism shirt or i'm um, sorry i said the shirt because i've always got shirts on my mind but i ordered the Schism book uh, off depop someone sold it for $50 and I was going through and unpacking old boxes and yeah I had another schism book here nice yeah so we're gonna have a contest
2: for that is that what you're saying
1: maybe hey (laughs) hey I'll tell you what if you get if you get five messages from people that say run a contest for the schism book you can get my slightly beat copy that I got off depop
2: or could we uh we should make it like uh that could be like a a patreon
1: yeah there you go okay we'll do it that way even better you have to
2: be in our patreon next time one of
0: our um friends of the pod is falls upon hard times maybe we could raffle it off to you know try and raise some some funds To we'll we'll figure something out yeah anyway something out what do you say we uh get into let's kick it with the ray and porcel seven inch featuring special guest dylan Schreifels?
1: About. Dylan, welcome. Dylan, hello. Thank you so much. Yo, what's up? Yo. How's it going? Thanks for joining
2: All us. Right. No problem. Dylan,
4: what's up? Yeah,
2: we, we have a surprise guest because Jason and I also didn't know that uh, Parmananda was hopping on. So. Yeah,
0: when I sent the invite out to um, you and the other guys, I just throw Porcel on there. It's like, yeah, if, if he wants to show up, cool. If not, cool. Like, we always do that. We'll throw it out to Jordan Cooper sometimes and see if he wants to come in or, you know.
4: Of course, Purcell wants to join in. Come on. I, I was eating I was eating lunch with my daughter. My daughter cut lunch and I was like, I got to do this podcast. I don't even remember like, like agreeing to do this podcast. I don't, know
3: where, I don't even remember. I must have
2: done
0: it like six months ago.
4: <laughs> no, we sprung it on you. Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. So, Dylan, um, yes. thanks for joining us. We, you know, of course, we invited you here to talk about the illustrious, uh, four track uh what was it called on no echo four track demo uh track four demo track Um, four was was the
5: original name
0: yeah track four um but before we get into that we wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself and growing up in the new york hardcore scene and you know we do uh we do a bit of homework for this podcast as any good interviewer should and we kept coming across stuff that you've done for bands that were like what what the fuck like he did that mm-hmm. logo and he did this shirt and he he was in this video so you are walter's brother are you younger or older i'm younger okay, okay. How, by how much by just under three years okay so when he was you know playing in gorilla biscuits and bands like that you were what 15, 16, 18?
5: I think the first time I went to Seabees, I might've been 14. I think I was 14. And then like, by the time I was 15, I was going every weekend. And he would have been, uh, you know, 17, 18. Mm-hmm.
4: Dylan was part of the little kid posse. It was like Matt Pacus, Sammy, Dylan. Um, what was that kid from uh, YDL? Rishi? Um, Rishi. They were all all freaking they were all little ass kids. Like seriously, they were like this big, you know, it's funny too, because I was such you guys were like, you know, I I was such you were just like kids, but now when I see like my kids, you know, when they were like 15 and I'm thinking like, these guys were going to CBGB's on the Lower East Side when they were like 15 years old, it's scary.
0: Yeah. How old is your son now?
4: He's 18, right? My son is 20. 20 already? What the fuck? My, so, daughter is, my daughter is 17. And let me tell you, she's 17. I wouldn't let her go to the Jeeves.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Especially with a bunch of, like, wacky characters, you know, that, that came from the New York hardcore scene, right? Yeah.
4: Not, not only that, even the neighborhood. Like, yeah. it was just a bunch of drunks and drug addicts and freaking It was nuts
5: it was crazy I, I, the first time I went to Seabees um, I walked in the door I was walking in the door and like, like I said I was like 14 I think it was the summer and I was seeing a band called PMS I remember them <laughs> and uh, as I'm walking in the door nervous as all hell because I'm not old enough a fight breaks out in that little space going into the front door and it's like two skinheads fighting and I get pushed out of the way. And I was just like, dude, am I going in this place? Really? Like, <laughs> there's like fists flying, like scary people. And uh,
4: okay, OK, the very first matinee that I went to. Um, everybody was filing out after Agnostic Front played. And uh, remember that guy, Tony Ultraviolence? Sometimes they call him Tony T-shirt. Yeah, I know. T-shirts at CB's like just like nutcase guy he sings in a band called ultraviolence you know he's got to be like a little crazy (laughs) so tony ultraviolence is at the door and everybody's filing out in that little doorway where the where the um you know where they used to take the money it was like a little tiny kind of like hallway and then it would kind of branch out into cbgb's if you've never been there so tony ultraviolence is sitting there with a huge wine bottle in his hand holding it by the you know and that you drink out of so obviously he's gonna smack it over somebody's head and he's with his girlfriend who's just like a skinhead girl and everybody's filing out and the skinhead girl and he's got it like cocked back like this and the skinhead girl is going not him not him not him i'm like like five people and i'm like is she gonna say him when it's me and is this guy gonna crack me over the head with a wine bottle and finally i get up there and she's like not him and i was like and literally, like three people behind me. You remember that skinhead called Steve Hate? No. He might have been a little bit before your time. The big skinhead called Steve Hate. She goes, "Him!" And then Tony Ultrafist <laughs> cracks this bottle right over his head, cuts his whole head open, and these two guys just start fighting in that little like hallway. And there's all people like trying to get out, and it was nuts. And I was like right by the door. That was my introduction to CBGB's like literally like an hour in.
5: Wow. It's kind of like duck duck goose.
4: <laughs> <laughs> duck duck bottle. Yes. You don't
5: want
4: you don't want to be the goose.
5: <laughs> it was scary.
0: Dylan, did you ever play in any bands or have aspirations to play in any bands like you saw your brother and your brother's friends doing or your friends, your peers? I
5: I think I had some aspirations and definitely there was like a push at one point, like my brother really wanted me to play in bands and Sammy wanted me to play too but I I, I think I'm just a little too shy and got a little too nervous to actually really do it. The closest I ever got was Sammy got me to actually go and try to try out for side-by-side. There was like a moment where Billy was not gonna play and Sammy got me to come down. And uh, so I kind of like jammed with them a little bit in, uh, it was at Don Fury's actually and there was something else going on and Sammy's just come play with us. And that was the closest I think I ever got.
4: I didn't even know that you played bass.
5: I don't really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can play a little bit, but uh, I think I, uh, I don't know. It's just not my thing. I'm more like a draw kind of person. I like to draw and do that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. And did you go to art school to learn how to draw or did you, is it just something that you enjoyed doing?
5: I went to a specialized high school for drawing. Uh, I went to the high school of music and art in Manhattan. They call it most people in New York call it LaGuardia and they made a movie about it called fame. Okay. And I went there, and then uh, and then I went to SUNY Purchase on a painting scholarship. Oh, awesome! And then ended up graduating Stony Brook with an art history degree.
4: Wow, oh, nice. that's awesome! It, Dylan made Dylan made a ton of those cool old flyers. Oh okay. yeah, I made a lot of flyers. Dylan made some of the coolest flyers of that whole era, I would say.
1: You made the shutdown flyer, right? I did. Yeah. 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 I'm always, I, I love when I see that one pop up every once in a while. It's so cool. It's just such an iconic flyer. It's got, you know, the skin with the X'd up fist and just It's just like, such a great show too. Yeah. Man, that was a good show. What's, was the, a show. what's the story from the horse's mouth? Can you just give us the rundown of the shutdown show real quick?
5: Um, I mean, I think the rundown was that like the CBs was just saying like, listen, we don't want kids stage diving, people get hurt, and we don't want kids going off. And well, it you was know, just- you
4: know what, ha- you know what happened? Some kid broke his arm at a matinee, and okay. his pa- his parents were like suing CBGBs or something. Okay. So, um, yeah, that, that no, was- no, some, Somehow or other, Haley said, okay, there's no more stage diving. But the dumb thing was, He kind of appointed the bands as the people that were supposed to enforce this brand new No Stage Diving. Uh, Like, we're the band, dude. Like, you're the club. Hire bouncers. Do whatever you gotta do. We're not responsible for people stage diving. Yeah. And so, you know, people came to that show, and it all started with Side by Side. (laughs) Because of course, Jules is such a freaking rebel rouser, you know what I mean? He started in with like some shit, fuck this No Stage Diving bullshit, this stage is yours. (laughs) It just kind of like set the whole tone for the show. And it was all downhill from there. By the time Youth Today played, I mean, you know, those Youth Today shows back then were crazy. It was just yeah. like non-stop stage diving. How are we going to stop the stage diving? I mean, yeah. it, it was it was unrealistic. I, think they,
5: I don't think there was any intention of stopping the stage diving or anything. Everybody knew, like, okay, CBS wants this rule, but it's not happening. We're not. Yeah. No one's following this rule.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry to get off track, but so. Did you do flyer artwork first or the GB demo artwork? What came first?
5: I think I probably did that GB demo before I ever did a flyer. Okay. Because that was, you know, I was really young when that that my brother asked me to do that. Yeah, that was. And I'm surprised that's the one that stuck. I mean, there was a couple of other uh, versions of demo covers, but they liked that one. I don't know. My brother liked that one.
0: That's
4: '86
5: yeah it was like 85 86 something like that
4: yeah. okay awesome. how old were you when you when you drew that i was so i was like 15 does it blow your mind that there's like hundreds if not thousands of kids that have a doodle that you did when you were 15 tattooed <laughs> on their bodies it's amazing
5: <laughs> it's amazing i did a tattoo of it once uh like and i'm just like it's amazing
0: yeah uh what other stuff did you do around that time
5: i did a lot of bits and pieces i mean a lot of flyers i did a bunch of flyers and then uh i had done like i think the stuff i'm most into that i did a long time ago was uh i had worked on the layouts for the gb record like you know because alex did a lot of it Billy Bitter did the drawings, but I really pieced a lot of the, like, the cover together and, like, mm. and parts of the insert, and I really had fun doing that, and with Alex's help, like, a lot of, like, what I did, he showed me a lot, Alex, and then um, I did, remember I did some stuff for Unit Pride, because Eric O'Zine had stayed at my house, a long time ago and I have no idea where it is or what Eric did with it but I remember he had me draw and I did some cool stuff for him
4: oh nice someone you, asked did, Jason you didn't draw those, those fists that were on the shirt did you On the not sure with the two
5: actors? no 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 that was before oh. but okay. like that, I think they already had those shirts when they came to New York
4: that was a great shirt that was like my favorite shirt
5: I know I had the sweatshirt of it I love I always loved that yeah that's
4: right
2: so speaking of stage diving from earlier, Sammy had told us there was a time you broke your wrist stage diving. He was telling me. Uh, you have
5: a- yeah, yeah, I broke my knuckles. It was not my wrist. My knuckles like shifted. <laughs> <laughs> Who were you diving for? You remember? Uh, Token Entry. Oh, nice. nice. It wasn't a glorious dive. It was not <laughs> at a good place. Uh, it was uh, at, at Right Track Inn in Long Island. And uh, token entry was playing, and Timmy uh, Timmy Chunks, who I was really tight with, I was tight with everybody in token entry, was really excited because I was a straight edge kid, but I was wearing a Murphy's Law sweatshirt, and he had to, he was like, "I got to bring you up on stage because you have a Murphy's Law sweatshirt, but you're straight edge." That's and he went into this whole thing, and then like you know, I was kind of like obliged to like go off at that point, <laughs> and I went off enough to to shift my knuckles. Oh man. Was that,
4: was that at the birth of unity show?
5: No, this was after the birth of unity. Um.
4: Sam mentioned, uh, also, uh,
2: Sam Sigler. He mentioned, uh, that you went to the birth of unity show in his dad's car. Yeah. Yeah. Grew up all over the side.
5: Yeah. Yeah. His dad was psyched. He always remembers me for that.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
2: Were you drunk?
5: Some bad, uh, no, no, I wasn't, I I wasn't, I wouldn't be drunk. I was, uh, I think I just got like kind of car sick, like. And his dad had like this some kind of sports car type thing.
4: Yeah, he had uh, he had Paul Stanley's Porsche. I do not It wasn't a Porsche. It wasn't that fancy. Maybe it wasn't a Porsche. I, at one at one point, he had some... his some father had Paul Stanley's like Porsche or, or Camaro <laughs> or something like that. It was definitely, like,
5: some kind of, like, maybe, like, Datsun, but, like, a, like a sporty one, and, like, I don't know. I, I, I was feeling sick. I threw it up. I, I made it outside the car, though. Like, I just threw up outside the window.
2: I wonder if when Civ uh, played with Kiss, if Sammy tried to mention that to Paul Stanley that he's, uh, yeah, his dad had his car
4: we'll have to ask oh, during the sieve uh, i used to always make fun of him because his dad had this like radical sports car but it was automatic and it wasn't a stick yes I used, be, I used to be like this is so lame you have like a porsche and it's an automatic it's not even a stick shift he'd be like hey man this is paul stanley's car oh,
2: Wow! <laughs> now that makes me think um, you know
4: you know i actually i broke my nose really bad at the right track in at that birth of unity show do you remember that I don't remember that you breaking your nose. That was a great show, though. I remember the show. It was during Warzone, and I was in the pit, and it was so packed. It was literally like this. And some skinhead did a stage dive, and all I saw was he did this, like, spinning stage dive. And it was out of my periphery, but then in my periphery came his boot.
3: Oh.
4: Right from the side, right in the side of the nose. It broke my nose so bad that it literally broke my face. Like it broke the bone that goes from like, you know, you know, right underneath your nose. Like I had a fracture that went all the way down to like my teeth. Wow. Oh, wow. It was nuts. Yeah. Oh, man. And you want to know what's so weird? I was knocked unconscious on my feet. And so he hit me and I don't remember anything. And then I woke up and I was in the bathroom. I don't even know how I made the bathroom. I was like, unconsciously somehow got to the bathroom. And then I looked in the mirror and I went like this, and blood just splattered all over the sink. There was like blood everywhere. <laughs> it was crazy. I went to the doctor the next day. The doctor was like, Yeah, you broke your nose and your face. Oh, wow. He's like, How did you do this? I was like, eh, Moshing to war zone. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. So, oh, sorry. Dylan, I wanted to get back
1: to uh, some of the art that you've done. And then also I wanted to ask about when you started tattooing, how you got into doing that.
5: I got into tattooing because of Civ. I I was going to SUNY Purchase, and at, at that time, my mom had moved to Long Island. And I didn't like SUNY Purchase, so I transferred to Stony Brook. And I knew no one in Long Island. Okay, But Civ was started tattooing in Long Island. So I was like, Oh, I'll go buy where Siv is and check him out because like didn't he know anybody. And I just ended up hanging out there and Siv was like, You draw really well, you should you should do this. Yeah. And he kinda encouraged me and I met some people at the shop that he was at and then from there I just kinda got into it and just kept doing it. And I wanna say that must have been around it's like ninety two. Nineteen ninety two.
4: Did Siv actually teach you how to tattoo or like, how did you learn how to like, you could draw, but how did you learn to draw with a tattoo gun on skin? So I think Siv
5: had been tattooing maybe like a year or two at that point. So I don't think like he wasn't really going to teach me. He was like still learning. Okay. But there was this, uh, this biker there that had been tattooing for like, I don't know, probably about 20 years at that point. And he was like a maniac, but somehow took a liking to me. So I kind of stayed with him. His name was Joe, and he was, I mean, he's kind of a legendary guy in the people that know him, because he was like a real 1% outlaw biker maniac. I mean, he, the guy was a murderer and, like, told me how he killed people. Oh. <laughs> he was a very scary person that somehow liked me. Yeah. So school you,
4: le- you. You learned how to tattoo from a murderer. That's a I did. Point. I learned from a murderer. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's was really interesting uh, experience. Like, I basically spent. I think I spent every almost every day with a murderer for about four years. Yeah. How many people can
4: is- say that? That aren't. Also murder. Isn't so it, yeah. isn't, it <laughs> isn't it funny that when you come from the hardcore scene, you just have all these oh, insane God. experiences that normal people just can't even fathom. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and Dylan, is this in the eighties or nineties at this point? This is in
5: the nineties. I started tattooing in like I want to say ninety-two so, uh, I
0: mean back ninety-three. It's it's not a popular thing. Yeah. Back yeah, it then. It's still world. like underground and you've got a lot of those types of people around so that makes sense that that's who you're you're learning oh it's an area
5: it's a whole different world now it's yeah right it's insanely different it's uh i mean it's so different like it's unrecognizable
4: dylan was it actually illegal in new york city when you started tattooing? yeah it was
5: illegal and uh so that's part of the reason civ was tattooing in long island Um, Because you could work at a real shop where people just walk in and get tattoos, whereas in the city you kind of everything was kind of underground. Okay. And the only person that had a shop where people just kind of walked in was Jonathan Shaw, which was fun city. And and that was about it. I mean, every other shop was kind of like these underground shops. And I think that's where Civ could really like I know he went out there because now he could really work consistently. In a real street shop, so um, that's that's why we, everybody was out in Long Island was that wanted consistency to really learn would have to go out there because it was illegal in the city.
1: Yeah, and Fun City
5: is still there, right? Yeah, I think it's still there. I don't think Jonathan Shaw owns it. Uh, somebody else owns it, but it's still yeah. there. I think it's still there. Okay, awesome. And they had a their shtick was that they weren't really doing tattoos for money; they were selling cappuccinos. And you got a tattoo with your cappuccino and your cappuccino might cost (laughs) a hundred bucks depending on what kind of cappuccino you want. You were ahead
2: of the curve on Starbucks (laughs) first. Yeah. Yeah.
5: (laughs) But uh, if you look at the the ground out there, it always said like there's cappuccino and tattoos, fun city tattoo.
0: Nice. And that's awesome. (laughs) So before that, in uh, 1988, you're featured on the cover of a Youth of Today record called We're Not in the Saloon. And Jason told me that you're the one in the video attempting to eat a burger, correct?
4: No, that's Tom. Oh, uh, that's Tom. Tom Boiling Point. Oh, I'm uh, off.
1: I apologize. I'm the one
5: riding the bike. Okay, there you go. you in the? And I, uh, I'm the one too. I'm, I'm the one riding the bike, and I'm also the one. Uh, there's a part where uh, it's uh, me, Luke, and Sam, I think, and like spray painting the stencil on the wall. Yes, and I'm, oh, and I'm holding. I'm holding the stencil up against the wall.
4: That's right. Oh, that's awesome. And I think Luke is spraying the stencil, right? Yeah, might have been Luke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what's cool codes. about that? You know what's cool about that is. Um, when Dylan first got that mountain I think I think it was like me, you and Capo got mountain bikes around the same time. Yeah, mountain specialized. Bikes, <laughs> mountain bikes were not a thing. Yeah. Like we were like we were probably one of the first people to actually ride a mountain bike in New York City. Like everybody had ten speeds. Like no one had like a mountain bike they were kind of like brand new. Yeah, so it's we, true. I love that bike. <laughs> People used to stop us on the street and be like, "What kind of bike is that that's so cool i've never seen a bike like that before <laughs> yeah so you're on the inside
2: then on the bike too that's you right yeah that's me
4: on the bike okay, okay cool
5: and I'm wearing that Pride sweatshirt that Purcell was talking about before with that design on it
4: it's, oh, uh, and you know what? Okay. it was cool that you had the bike on the cover too because um the specialized mountain bike actually became like a straight edge thing. It was sort of like the youth crew. It was like you know you had the messenger bag, you had yeah. the big Nikes, and you had the specialized mountain bike. That was like the youth crew look. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That fun was
5: fun. Uh, that was a good mode of transportation.
4: It was. And
0: uh, I was going to say, a bit at bow to Tim Doublecross for providing a really high quality uh, version of that video that's on YouTube now, right? Because before it was like kind of a grainy, like sketchy. And then I think that the one up now is from Tim. Um, man, that well, video. Not only
4: that, Son- Sonny Singh from 856 redid it. Yeah, Sunny yeah, cleaned it
0: up and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. it's cool. I mean, that's now from 1988 you know, it's so crazy how old some of this stuff is and how good a lot of that stuff looks. And we say all the time, you know, with layouts and stuff, um, being put together with, uh, exacto knives, yeah. and blue and letra set and stuff like this, which brings another thing that Jason brought up about yeah. a logo that you did. Dylan kick it, Jason.
1: Did you do the chain of strength logo?
5: So, I want to say that this is another one of these things where I was kind of like, I was just called in to help with it because um, if I remember, Chris Bratton had a real kind of clear idea of what he wanted. So I want to, you know, that I don't want to really take credit for it, but I I did put it together like um, with Letraset Man, and, cool. and send it off to Jordan. but. He really directed it. Chris Bratton was really, um, he really knew what he wanted. Yeah, I yeah, was so gonna say, that Refined like, it. Yeah. yeah sounds yeah.
4: like Chris- This, this was the one with the X in it? And the two yeah, X- with the
5: bars, with the bars across it. And like, so I still have like original Letra sets of it when I was working on it and putting it together for him.
0: That is so wow. wild. Yeah, it's awesome. Did you do any that's other a- logos or, or work like that that people might not know about? <laughs>
5: Not
1: that I can think. I mean, I did a lot
5: of little gorilla biscuit things. Like, I think that I, every once there was one that I, I I remember doing that I see every once in a while, and it's like the gorilla biscuits, and it's like a little. Chiquita Banana Gorilla Biscuits. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like, the, it's like the stupidest little drawing. I know what yeah. you're talking about. But this. it's one of those things that creeps up every once in a while, and I'm just like, I can't believe that thing's still floating around. It's like
2: a little
0: yeah. piece yeah, of scrap paper. I
2: think there was like old stickers on yeah, it yeah. or something. and it's what? just
0: like a doodle. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's like yeah, yeah. small, yeah, small, <laughs> wild. Yeah.
2: Well, speaking of Gorilla Biscuits, what, what, what was it like, I guess, you know, being a part of that whole thing and then seeing – how massive they got after they broke up and over you know before they got back together like was that crazy to see like from them being like headlining these giant festivals and
5: i mean in a way i think it's crazy but i i think like that start today record was just i mean even when they recorded it it was just such a great i think i just felt like a record that's going to stand the test of time and like i think it does like, I, I think the sad thing, um, like, Youth of Today, to me, was the best band, hands down, at that time. Like, hands down. Like, best live show, best, best band, all, all around. But I don't think Youth of Today ever had the recording like that, that really could capture what Youth of Today was. Whereas I think Start Today really captures Gorilla Biscuits and, 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 and really, you know, sets it apart from other records.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I can definitely see that. Because I always would say that like Youth of Today is my, you know, we've all talked, they're my favorite as well. And Jason and Hoff, uh, but the recording, it's almost like you have to tell someone like for for Youth of Today, you really got to kind of look at the whole package. But I think with like Gorilla Biscuits, that LP is more something you could just give to someone, hey, check this out. Like, I feel yeah. like you could today you have to be like, watch these videos, like, check this out, listen to the record, read the lyrics, Where Start Today kind of just is like its own
1: thing.
5: Yeah, and it captures the band. I mean, Gorilla Biscuits, that record captures the band. Like, it really does it.
1: Yeah. And Dylan, were you there to do backups for the Disengaged 7-Inch and we um, Alone also?
5: Yeah, yeah, I did We're Not In This Alone uh, a couple times because there was a bad one with Rabies Going off. Remember that one? <laughs>
4: oh my god! <laughs> was a character that he wanted everybody to know that it was him when he was doing the backups. Okay. It would be like you know, uh, prejudice, and he would be like prejudice yeah hanging over and we were like he did it every time We literally had to do them over again.
5: Yeah, so those I did twice, I remember I think the only thing I never I wasn't didn't sing backups on might have been that uh, that judge record because that wasn't in New York that was you recorded that someplace else. I mean the Chung King I went to that recording but
4: did you do uh, did you do the seven inch?
5: The seven inch I did.
4: Yeah, I thought you the were seven there. inch
5: I did, but the that the the bringing it down I don't I don't think you, you didn't, that wasn't recorded in New York, right?
4: No, that was in Rhode Island. Um, that's why. That's why I didn't. I got, didn't do that. The guys that okay. did backup vocals on "Bringing It Down" were that band Wargasm, that death metal band. They were also recording, yeah. and we had to buy we had to buy them pizza and beer, and they agreed <laughs> to do the backup. Vocals. <laughs> wow! <laughs> but you know what? Those guys. Vocals oh, are freaking awesome. Those guys could scream. Every damn one of them. They were like the <laughs> best backup vocal guys ever. <laughs> oh, that rules.
1: We had a great
5: uh, group. I, I remember being in the backup vocal group with like Armon and and uh, Pete, mm-hmm. and they were powerful. Man, I remember like those guys. I, they might have been the Girl Biscuits record. And those guys were like, whoa, this is a different kind of backups." like, I'm usually doing it with, like, me, Luke, Sam, you know, Chris, and, like, a couple other, like, young kids. But now I'm doing it with, like, Lou and and Armand. It felt like, oh, my God, these are, like, men voices.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's what what, uh, we did uh, for Start Today. We talked with uh, Porcel and Sammy um, and Toby uh, Morse. And they all said the same thing with uh, Lou and Armand. Like they were like, we were like little kids and they were men.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They had strong voices. It was good, man. I mean, Walter even said that that's the reason why they redid the vocals on start today was because they heard that sick of it all record. And it was, they're like, Oh, well, I guess we got to rough it up a little bit.
5: Yeah. I think I I know that a great recording session I was at, I remember was, um, Warzone used to rehearse on uh, like Avenue B and then they ended up recording in a place. I think it was called the music box.
4: Yeah. You recorded there um, for that first rev seven inch comp. Right. And
5: uh, Warzone had, Warzone recorded
4: there. It was great. I remember Warzone recording stuff
5: there and it was awesome. I mean, this was like, it was uh, Brad, Luke, my brother, uh, Rabies and Todd, I think. Wow. Might've been still like floating around in there. But I remember being at that music box thing and being like, whoa, these guys sound amazing. They sounded so great.
1: Damn, that's awesome. So um, Dylan, I wanted to go back to, if we can get some info from you on recording um, the song Shelter for Perfection Desire in the wow. dr- and putting together the drum tracks for that.
5: I, I so I remember the big thing about that was the actually uh, the 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 chanting in
1: the background, the recording. I think that was like uh,
5: the coolest part of that.
1: Okay, but is that something that you did the drum? You did you set up the drum machine? track for that song or i don't know how
5: much i did i remember being there and i remember okay. I, I remember you see i was making these tapes with i had gotten a f- uh, four track a tascam four track and i was making these tapes and i was doing like overdubbing things like because i couldn't re- i didn't really play an instrument mm-hmm. well so i was just uh i was just like recording things like kind of mixing different things and one of the things i used to like to do was take like uh like chants and things like that, and played over songs. Yeah, and I and I, I think I might have played that for Ray, and I, I remember being there at the recording, but I don't I don't remember doing much as far as recording. Okay. I mean, this uh, the Ray and Purcell record I think was the most I ever really got involved and I mean, I mean that was it was great, it was fun.
0: And for that seven inch, I guess we could start diving into that. Purcell, did you initially? program the drums for that because you had i read on no echo there's this a whole story about this seven inch on no echo and it says that you had some songs that you wanted to sound like a little more dc influence like embrace and stuff like that did you initially program drums to go along with the guitar parts that you'd written or did you tap dylan for that straight out of the gate
4: I mean, I had a crappy drum machine Mm -hmm. that I bought for like 15 bucks on, you know, in the music district or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I think initially for those songs, I think what we're, you know, I I had just moved to Avenue A and I was living there with um, uh, Skinhead Max, who was friends with Dylan. So Dylan used to come over all the time. We used to just hang out. And I was working on, I believe those songs came up because Dylan was like, I got this girl in my school, she's a really good singer. Why don't we do a band, we'll get this girl to sing. Am I correct with that, Dylan? I, I think you're really. correct, I think,
5: I think it started that way. I, rem- I, I think we just started because um, you had gotten that pedal thing like for your guitar, it was like an effects pedal. I remember it was yeah. like black and it was like, it was like you could do like space age sounds on it. Like, yeah, it was I, started- I
4: I had one of those rack things with like a million different effects in it that I had bought. I used it for Judge. I used it yeah, for judge. you
5: were really into it. And I remember, and I had gotten, I had that Tascam 4-track. Yeah. And I think I told you, I said, you know, I should bring my 4-track here. It can record stuff. And you had that drum machine. And I think it started that way. We were just like, I think, because Ray had kind of like really... You know, I think Ray might have been living in the Brooklyn temple, he kind of moved in, or might have been in, uh, in, in the farm in, in Pennsylvania, but he was kind of gone, and I think you were looking for something to do, and I just happened to be there, because you were yeah. writing songs.
4: And originally, originally, like, I wrote that song thinking like, okay, Dylan's got this girl that can really yeah. sing, so we're gonna write more, more kind of like poppy sort of songs. And it was, you know, we were just, you know, it was the 90s, man. We were trying out something new. Everybody was doing new kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. That was our original intention. Um, But then I guess the girl couldn't do it. And right when that girl said she couldn't do it, as far as I remember, um, Ray had just gotten back from India and he flew into New York City and he came over to my apartment. And I said, hey, me and Dylan are working on these songs. And the the girl we were going to get couldn't sing on it. Do you want to, like, sing on this stuff? He listened to it and he really liked it. And he said, Yeah. And he literally wrote those lyrics in like two days. Yeah.
5: And they're great. They're great lyrics. They're still great lyrics. I was going to say, the like, they're
4: freaking fantastic. That's some of the best lyrics he ever wrote, I think. I agree.
2: That's what I was going to say. Like, they're, did Shelter? So I remember when I would, um, I've talked before about how I would order. From very distribution that was based out of here in Philly, um, and they would have these like descriptions of the records, and that's how you know, before internet, that was how you did it. You looked, and this seven inch said these songs were later adopted by Shelter. Did
4: Shelter play these a lot? Because I've never seen footage. We played them, I think we played them once at City Gardens. Okay, it was before I was in the band, I just went to the show, it was when Vic was in the band. And I came back to see them and Ray was like, Oh my god, Purcell's here. Do you want to do a Ray and Purcell song? And I was like, sure. <laughs> and it was just like this impromptu thing, and we kind of learned the song backstage, but Shelter didn't really play those songs. I think that was the only time we ever played that song. That's so song. funny
2: that that description said that. Because I remember being like, I've I've never seen any, you know, footage of it. And obviously, you know, in the times now, Shelter doesn't play these, but
0: I would love to hear them.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> that, they would go over awesome if you did.
0: That um, No Echo story, Porcell, it kind of says that you were like ambivalent about the songs and about the recording and about the record. Like you're kind of just uh, like whatever, like you can put this out if you want. Like I don't really care about it, right?
4: Um, I actually really liked it. I didn't like the drum machine. Mm. Like quite honestly, I like, I thought if we had like a real drummer, it would have been better. Mm -hmm. But you know what it was it it was kind of cool in a way because we tried to do something new and we tried to experiment a little bit and that was kind of the the mode of the time you know i really wish that we had a better drum machine (laughs) yeah it was the worst drum machine (laughs) yeah because the beats were like i literally bought that drum machine used for i think 15 dollars it was like Do you remember until it was like a big big box? It was huge. It was
5: huge. And it had big buttons and like...
4: And half the button knobs were like missing off of it and everything. uh, I remember, I
5: think it drove Don Fury crazy. I think he hated it probably more than you did. Uh, Don Fury hated that thing. I remember like...
4: Don Fury every ten minutes would be like we, we should get Sammy down here, we should get Sammy down. Here. Oh
5: my God. We <laughs> hated that thing. Right. I remember you were recording like I was sit like because you you were you had to play and I like that drum machine you had to like kinda you could program it, but you had to kind of prompt it along. Like so even though you had parts programmed, somebody had to prompt it along at the right yeah, moments. Yeah, and so I'm like <laughs> so kind of like sitting there and like prompting along and just hearing Don Fury complain to me, like in my ear, how this thing sucks, and like <laughs> it, it didn't it didn't faze me though. I was like, I, I don't know, it's still fun.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the thing that really sucked about it was like, you know, the drum machine was more made for like it was probably made in the '80s for like '80s new wave kind of stuff, you know. And yeah. so the snare doesn't sound like an actual snare it sounds like one of those dance new wave yeah. snares. Yeah. The, the, and uh, it,
0: the sound of it kind of reminds me of Sisters of Mercy
2: at times like, like that. It's, Same. It's, it's sort of very style. like
0: British dark wave new wave uh yeah. like it, but it sounds big too. Whatever yeah. you guys did to it and whatever Don did to it and the pro- it sounds big
4: yeah well i tell you i love the guitar sound and i love the bass sound on the record i also played bass on it and the guitar and bass came out amazing
0: yeah it starts it starts with bass right yeah yeah Yeah. fame Mm -hmm. um yeah so did you when you were writing it you're like oh i'm gonna start it with this bass line right uh yeah whose bass did you use for that did you like i use walter's nice
4: Yeah, I didn't have a bass at the time. So this was like a
0: real collaborative record. I mean, you got Walter's bass, you got Walter's brother, you got Don Fury, Ray. Like, this is uh, an amalgam of a lot of things in and around New York hardcore at the time. And it's like, it's a really cool snapshot. And we talk all the time about how this era was like real experimental Uh, you know, quicksand, shelter, burn, and then of course the stuff that comes after. Super touch. Yeah, super touch too. Um,
5: I think it was the end of something. So something new was beginning. So I think that's why it was just kind of like a weird thing. I don't think it, you know, it happened at that time the way it did. And I think that this seven inch is kind of cool. I like the drum, like, I don't like the drum machine necessarily because I had something to do with it, but I think it really sets it apart in yeah. Rev's catalog is like this real oddity but it's also like um in the catalog it kind of closes out that really early era like it's like yeah. really okay now things are all going to be different everything's blown apart with this thing it just kind of blew it out the water yeah, yeah i mean yeah, the I next agree. record yeah, is true. into
2: another yeah you know, like i mean that's
5: yeah, like here you go. Hey, this is now the new rev. We're not doing what we did before, and I think right. that's a big break in the in the catalog. You see it, like, and that's that's the record. I'll also say that it's number twenty three, and in, you guys probably are not basketball nerds, but that was Michael Jordan's number, yeah. and it's nineteen ninety one, and that's when Michael Jordan. Finally beats the Detroit Pistons, gets into the finals, and beats the Lakers and wins the championship.
1: Dude, so there the you go. Dance. It was last dance. Last dance. I don't even. Hey, I don't even mess with sports too much. Lord forgive me, anyone that's listening. But the last <laughs> dance was so killer. The last <laughs> dance was awesome, start yeah. to finish. So
2: I was a big fan, like back then, because I was probably, I mean, ninety-one. I was ten so that was like that's when i was all into that stuff so yeah 23 immediately
0: i still see well 23 is also a mystical number um and you know especially it's interesting that it like bands like psychic tv and throbbing gristle which rely heavily on that industrial sound as Uh. well 23 is featured very heavily in stuff like that. So that's, I've never made that connection. Yeah.
5: It's funny you mentioned throbbing gristle. I was a huge throbbing gristle fan at that time. (laughs) Like I really (laughs) dug them.
2: I was, I was talking to the guys, uh, to Jason and Hav yesterday. And I was saying to me, aesthetically, maybe that's the right word. This seven inch always reminded me of the egg hunt. Where it's, Two, you know, former musical partners that are kind of the head of this whole thing. You know, you had Jeff and Ian, and then you got Ray and Porcell, and they're doing something that sounds different. It's a one-off record, two songs. Boom. Both it's
4: had weird. Off. Both had weird covers. <laughs> yeah. So to yeah. me,
2: this is like the Egg Hunt seven-inch.
4: And then
0: of Ray. I said that it's like a combination of Egg Hunts and Pale Head. Which is Ian MacKay and Al Jorgensen, Yeah. White, which yeah. has that like weird industrial. I revisited that last night. I, I got kind of into a, a hole and was like, all right, because we were talking about it on our group chat, and I listened to the this The Rainforest Cell Seven Inch again, and then I put the Pale Head record on after that to see if there was any like weird similarities and. Hugs bunny meme on me too. I did not like that <laughs> pale head record. <laughs> no. I, uh,
4: I love pale head. Yeah, no, so, there you go. No. Talking about that's so yeah, awesome. awesome. I love. I love <laughs> Are
0: ministry. Are you surprised? Huge. I know, right? Huge ministry fan. I was telling Jason. Ministry revolting cocks. Minor thread. Embrace Rugazi. The two never the two shall meet for me
4: right you know what's funny when that pale head came out, record came out you know i was a record collector so anytime a record came out dylan was a record collector too yeah yeah he I mean, and dylan used to hunt for records all the time together. i was told to ask about that dylan from <laughs> yeah yeah um so i got that pale head i was like i got it like literally the day it came out and it was when me and al brown were doing schism and we interviewed um brian baker you know, Dag Nessie played CBGBs. We interviewed Brian Baker, and I said, "Hey, what do you think of that Pale Head record that Ian did with Al Jorgensen from Ministry?" And he goes, "What are you talking about?" And I said, "There's a record, the Pale Head record that." you know ian your former singer did with the guy from ministry he goes he didn't do a record with the guy from ministry i was like dude (laughs) i have the record record. it's Ian singing al jorgensen you know did all the music he goes that didn't happen that would never happen Ian would never do a record with al jorgensen from ministry that's (laughs) that's false information and i was like no dude it's true and he said okay anybody out there that's listening to this interview should call in and confirm that he never did a record with al jorgensen and then he gave ian's phone number in the interview and he (laughs) told people to call in just to just to double check that he had never done a record with al jorgensen and we were so dumb that we printed ian's Ian's number and then when we saw fugazi the first time we went to interview fugazi And Ian was super pissed and he did like a literally like he did a three minute interview and he goes, now I'm not going to answer any more questions. We're like, dude, what the hell, man, this interview, we only asked you like two questions. He goes, fuck you guys. You guys printed my fucking number. You know how many people called me and asked me if I did that fucking pale head record? (laughs) (laughs) The thousands of kids fucking call my number every day. Fuck you guys. Thousands. <laughs> oh, that's
0: funny, dude. I wonder if he still has the same phone number. And when we get off this call, I'm gonna call him, be like, "Hey, did it's you blacked out one? in the book."
3: Uh, oh, I was oh shoot,
0: shoot me <laughs> this number.
2: I was mentioning before uh, you guys signed on. It was just me and Jason Hov. I said, I said that's I mentioned the Schism interview because it's like really like. I don't. What was it? Was it uncomfortable? When I was reading it, I was like, "This is kind of uncomfortable because this record does exist, and he's like denying." <laughs> it. And you know, Brian. He, 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 he honestly
4: didn't believe it. Like he wow, didn't believe you that Ian would ever do it.
2: He was like, "Is it on Discord?" And you're like, "No, it's on wax tracks or whatever it was." And he's like, "No, it Ian was wax, would wax tracks. A record not on Discord." And uh, you know, now. I know Youth Today in current times have played with Dag Nasty. Did that ever come up? Like, were you ever like, yo, Brian, uh, Pale Man?
4: No, no, Youth Today played that show in Berlin with Dag Nasty. We hung out with Brian for a long time backstage, but that, that never came up. Next time I see him, I'll ask him about it. <laughs> Man, that's funny. Porcel, I want to go back
1: to the 7 inch. Were there more songs written for this other than the two?
4: I think there was, wasn't
5: there, Dylan? Yeah, there were. I, 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 wish I had it. There, there was, there was one song that was amazing. That Purcell had just ripped this amazing solo in his uh, bedroom, and uh, I wish I had the tape. It was like it. it it, it, it was on the four track. It was recorded on the task cam. It was such a great song, mm. but I want to say there might have been like maybe three other songs that I had wow. on that tape. Oh, I
4: there, dude, I think there was. I think there was. I can't we were, remember. I was any saying any
2: like I don't necessarily, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily expect like a ten or twelve song album. But I would have loved like a
1: four to six an EP, an EPs with the stuff, yeah. And you
4: know, all the songs were good. Like we had a hard time figuring out which two songs we were going to pick. Yeah, Um, I think I think Ray actually picked them. Like he just figured out which ones he could do lyrics to. But yeah, I think there was like five songs on that thing.
5: Yeah, yeah, there was a there was a few more songs, and they were really good. They were. Someone needs to. Purcell was in like a good. uh, He had a good flow going with that uh, at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean that
2: was when Judge Judge was still cuz Judge was still going when when this was recorded or was Judge
4: over. Judge was, Judge was still going but I remember like um I was living at Sammy's house. And let me tell you man Sammy's mom had like she had the tolerance of a saint. I I was basically I came back from tour every time we went on tour we'd have to break our lease you know we would all kind of like live together we would break our lease we'd go on tour for the whole summer and then we would come you know literally we'd live in an apartment for two months break the lease go on tour not lose our deposit so i had just gotten back from i think it was a youth today tour um it might have been the youth today european tour and I had no money and I had no place to live. And so Sammy was like, just stay at my house. And he asked his mom if I could basically live there. And I ended up living there for three months, like, trying to save money to get an apartment. Because that's back when, like, it was, it, it, was, it was the 90s. So apartments started getting really expensive in the Lower East Side. And it, was, it was like sort of like the beginning of gentrification. And so I finally found an apartment on Avenue A, and I, I don't know. There was a real like lull. Like I don't think Judge was doing anything, and I was living at Sammy's house, not really doing anything, and <clears throat> so I was just kind of bored musically. And Dylan was just all always over the house, so we just started working on stuff.
2: Was was this uh, before or after you got back from California? Then this was before, right? This was before. Okay, because on the thanks list too, it thanks Apollo Studios, Twelve A Towers and uh donandar swami
4: 12a towers was the was the uh was the apartment building i lived in okay i was okay. gonna say uh, that's <laughs> what i was thinking i was like is that the apartment it was on 12th street and avenue way okay and let me tell you it wasn't it wasn't like a towers it wasn't as nice as it avenue. wasn't glamorous yeah <laughs> 12a towers is pretty dumpy <laughs> So, well, what was Apollo Studios? What was that?
1: I don't know what Apollo Studios is. You know, I Googled oh. it. I Googled Apollo Studios and it just came up with, you know, it's Showtime with the Apollo. Where, you know,
4: Apollo, that Apollo Theater. It must the, have been uh, some kind of inside joke that we can't remember. Yeah, I yeah. can't remember. I wonder okay.
2: if Raganoff remembers. I'll have to, we'll have to send him a message and ask. Yeah. Dylan,
4: something Was Apollo some kind of like shoe or some kind of like hip hop thing or
5: <laughs> not that I can remember I don't know where that it comes from
1: yeah Dylan how did you feel about the name uh, just Ray and Purcell was there any names that you guys are kicking around besides um
5: no I don't think it was ever like a real band except for I always just called it track four okay um, and that's what me and Purcell would call on it and then I don't even know if there was like an intention of Jordan putting it out or what I think it, I don't know how that even materialized but I, but I know like, it was like, okay, we're gonna go to Don's. We got time at Don's and we're gonna record it. And I don't even know if there was a plan to ever really put it out. And I don't know how, when it was put out, if it, how contemporaneous it was to when we recorded
4: it. I feel like it came out like a while after it was recorded. It, that thing came out like at least a <gasps> after. Yeah, started. it was like. <laughs> um, you know, we never really had any kind of solid plans. It was one of those things where Don Fury's was really cheap. Yeah, and you know Ray was in New York for a couple of weeks, and we ha- already had the song, so we were just like, "Hey, let's go to Don Fury's and pay twenty five bucks an hour, and <clears throat> see how the stuff turns out." It- but you know, when we recorded it, Jordan loved it. Jordan heard it, and like as soon as he heard it, he was like, "We have to put this out. We have to put it out." Oh my god, I love this stuff so much. It's so crazy. It's so different. It's awesome. Yeah, but he was the one that really pushed it, and then we did that. And we're like, okay, we'll put it out.
1: And then we did that photo shoot with Lego. Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Because, you know, the, the cover, it has this kind of discord, salad days, the back of seven-inch feel to it of, um, you know, as Dylan said, kind of a goodbye to everything that came before it. And it looks like exactly what it is, two friends, you know, coming together and creating music again. But what can you tell us about the... Um, the cover art or the artwork in general for
4: the record well you know lego was a friend of mine that uh i went to co- that i went to high school with and he had become a professional photographer he was making like i mean he even after that like during the 90s he was working for nine he was working for nike and he was doing all this crazy stuff he was making like ten thousand dollars a day okay. he was doing you know doing these like magazine covers and stuff so he became like a super famous photographer but before that he had like a big job at like a photography agency and that picture was actually taken we met we went and he his his agency was on broadway somewhere and so we went to meet him there and it was and and so we were waiting for him and we were looking out that window and the window just had the most amazing view of like downtown because it was right on like it was right near broadway and housing and somewhere and we were just looking out the window like oh my god check out this view and he walked out and he and he took that picture but um you know we did all the pictures just kind of like walking around the Lower East side we did a lot of them at washington square park we did them at union square which is where that inside picture was taken yeah this, we, there's this but picture. we ended up we ended up, for the cover, we ended up using that one picture that he took when he just walked out of his office, and it was just kind of a cool picture, I thought.
0: Um, are you wearing a fanny pack in that photo?
4: Yes, I am.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, your your outfit in that photo is very, like, 90s dad, almost, with the tucked-in shirt and the fanny pack. Like, What shirt to, is it? You're I'm ready to, to make walk out. around New York City in that outfit.
4: Well, I tell you, now, that shirt was... It was sort of a weird time in my life because I was kind of, um, I think I was just starting to get into spiritual stuff. Like, I was super into health food. I was super into like all these different kinds of diets, like raw food diets. And um, so the shirt was some Indian shirt that some kid had given me on tour. He was an actual Indian. And we were on a judge tour. And he said, Purcell, I want you to have this shirt. It's like a symbol of my freaking tribe or something like that. And he gave me that shirt, and I'm wearing that shirt. It's got some like Indian print on it.
2: Oh, that's um, awesome. And then I, I think Ravanov's wearing – is it a Bakhti Vedanta book trust shirt? I can't really I,
4: tell. I think so. I think it was like a BBT shirt. Pocket
2: tee, yeah. He, he looks yeah. like
0: he's got some Costco dad New Balances on. He looks – he looks very comfortable in that outfit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he has one of those, it, it, he has, it looks like he has one of those bags you get in India, like the uh, yeah. canvas bag. You and know, I corset. will say
4: this though, you know, when we took those pictures, it was probably 1989 and oh, wow. fanny packs were all the rage, dude. I mean, sure. we all had fanny packs. They're back. I, 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 wear, I wear a fanny back. pack. I wear a fanny I pack. I do
2: too. Yeah. And you know. I have that sweet judge one I showed you, mm. the, the, you know, the. Oh, side one. They're yeah. they're
5: back now.
0: Yeah, those yeah, are, are nice. Back. And then yeah. Dylan, you're on the labels, correct?
5: Yeah, yeah. That's like uh, like imprompt. It must be come from Sam. That photo.
4: Mm. I think Al Brown took that photo. Actually. Oh, really? Al
5: Brown took that photo. There's, yeah, there's yeah.
4: that there's one on both sides. Yeah, two.
0: Yeah. So, the, the drum machine does make an appearance in the layout. And then. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the wear dinner shirts that were printed. Uh, where Damien Moyle from Culture and Damien Dunn printed the shirts to celebrate Ray and Porcel Day, and did the four different designs. Um, Porcel, what did you think when you saw those?
4: Did you ever see those, Dylan? I did. Somebody, I think uh, one of
5: those Sloth crew guys sent it. Sent me a picture of it you know I, I don't know which one maybe brown i think brown sent it to me it says like ray purcell the drum machine, drum
4: machine. Yeah, one, yeah. yeah oh those yeah but the, then
0: there's the one where in the window they're looking out at stay puffed marshmallow man oh yeah i
5: did see Godzilla. those too yeah. yeah 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 those are funny <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, what was what was the band that what, who, who are the guys that do that company Um, I only know Damien. I don't know the Friends guys. What was his his band? Yeah, As As Friends Friends Russ. As Friends Russ, I think I was used to today, played a bunch of shows with them. Okay. Or maybe Shelter? I can't remember. Probably Shelter. It was was Shelter. It was Shelter. Shelter played Europe. They opened up for us for like six shows or something. So we had met those guys. And... um, so he sent, me a, he sent me an email and he said, hey Purcell, I made these shirts. Don't get mad at me. I'm the guy that did, that was on tour with you. And I want to send you to, I want to send you them. And I gave him my address and I got the, I got the box one day. I thought they were great. <laughs> I thought they were
3: funny as hell.
2: Which, which uh, window view was your favorite? There was the
0: staple. Pu- I like the
4: Star Wars one. The, the Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's awesome. And it's, Are they, can you still get those shirts, huh? Um, you can still get the Ray and Porcel and Drum Machine shirt on WearDinner.com. I think that the window ones might be gone, but hey, you can always well, ask I, for a reprint.
4: I had a falling out with those guys. Yeah, <laughs> because they did the shelter. It was it was the first Shelter Perfection of Zyre with uh, Mudvichari on it. Oh and They took yeah. out Mudvichari's face and they put in Charles Manson's face, and it said "Helter Skelter", Skelter or something. Just said Skelter. Skelter, yeah. Ooh. And they didn't ask me. Like you know, it was cool because you know when they did those Ray and Purcell shirts, they actually I don't think they asked me. I think they were already printed. Well, least you say they...
0: Hoff ask for it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah.
4: Um, but I saw that they did those shirts. And um, Kappa, Raghunath, was super pissed. Raghunath saw that shirt and he was like, how dare they do that? This is offensive. Fuck those guys. You know, we got to get them to stop making these. This is a real big offense, you know, for Bacharia. And, you know, because there was actually, you know, there was a time when... Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix did that record cover where he took out Vishnu's face and he yeah. put him in his own face.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: When that record came out, they showed it to Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said, This is a great offense. This person will will die a horrible death. Whoa. Or something like that. I didn't know that. And then, you know, six months later, a year later, he chokes on his own vomit. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a big offense to like take out somebody's face and, and you know, do a play on, a, on Krishna or something like that. So right now, was really pissed. And so I wrote them this really long letter and I said, hey, guys, I just want you to know we're not down with that shirt. Please remove it. I said I wrote him a whole biography of who Mudvacharya was how he was this great saint um you know a whole background about about mudvacharya and you know starting bhakti and personalism and uh you know when you take charles manson's face and you put it on a great saint like mudvacharya you know it's offensive to us and i like you guys i remember touring with you guys um you know so just do me a solid and, and you know take that shirt out of your catalog and they never did and they never answered my email i kind of have fallen out with those guys
0: it's not available now for what it's worth it's i looked on the website last night and i didn't see that shirt up so maybe eventually he came around to it Um, all right good but I, i will say also that damien moyle is a huge fan of the seven inch he was he didn't do that stuff like all the shirts as a goof like he really likes the record and he's featured also he speaks about it in that um no echo article so
4: yeah i mean i like those guys i i thought as friends ross were a good band too yeah i was a little bit disappointed that they never even answered my email i put so much time and effort and i tried to really word it in a way where it was like you know i didn't want to be like fuck you guys we're pissed but sort Mm -hmm. of like hey guys here's the reasons why you know we don't want you to do the shirt and i was kind of like really nice about it but they never answered me and they continue right, cuz it's
2: not you think like it's not like they would necessarily know that cuz to them it's just like oh we're just changing an album cover but i'm with you like hey if you're taking the time to write this thing at least acknowledge and be like oh yeah. wow i had i had no idea you know i mean
4: who who knows maybe it ended up in their spam folder or whatever <laughs> yeah true i mean if, and it, like half said next time you saw him.
2: if it's down then maybe they yeah. Maybe they just didn't know how to reply and took it down. I don't know.
4: Yeah.
1: All right.
2: So who's – with the – I was going to say the the purple –
1: Yeah, there's also I think
0: something quite a striking. Well, Judge had the purple. Similar, yeah,
1: similar to bringing it down. It looks so different though on this layout. You know, the feel is different. It's got it's got that kind of cold feel to it. That well, there's no, there's
0: also no yellow. Yeah, it is just purple and black and then the white. But yeah, I mean the front cover again. There's no logo on it, just like the disengage uh seven inch there's no there's no logo it's just a black and white photo so it's again when you're flipping through the records you're just like what's this what is this and i love, I love that yeah you're I like oh ray of
5: i love the whole that was the best thing about how that was put together was that like what is this mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> there's no name on it nothing
4: jordan hated it
5: I love that. Yeah, same.
4: Me to the He's like, people are going to be flipping through seven inches, and they're not even going to know what it is. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's what's cool about it. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> Which I get from his standpoint. He's sure, the guy owning the label standpoint. that wants to, you know, pre- he pressed the records and wants to sell. But it's just like with the youth of today. I can't really imagine it having any
1: Yeah. Yeah. If you look yeah. now, on you know, if you look and see what's on Spotify or whatever, that's what people design record covers for nowadays, and there's rarely a band name on there,
4: yeah. On the yeah. Cover.
1: A lot of it is just uh, you know, striking Arts. imagery and yeah. art. Yeah.
4: Are you are you trying to say that we were way ahead of our time? I think absolutely. so, yes, absolutely. Right. <laughs> I think
5: I think that comes from like you know, if you're somebody that likes to go to record stores and dig through records and you're always looking and hunting for things like something new to get into a record cover like that is like something that really uh, attracts you. Yeah. yeah. Cause you don't know yeah, what it is and you're like, what is, but like, and if you're a little in tune, you're like, Oh, like, Oh, it's on this record label. Cause that, exactly. I, I used to look, I loved records. I always loved records. And sometimes if I didn't know what something was, that first thing I would do, be like, what label is this on? Yeah. And it was that, that's really a cool thing about that record. Is like, okay, what is this? And, What label is it on? And then you jump from there and you can really get into it.
4: Yeah. Yeah, you know, me, Dylan and Raghunath were huge record collectors. So we liked the mystery of it. You know, we loved hunting for records. We loved, like, going to places and you had to dig for things and you had to, like, you know, find out, you know, write to people and find out, you know, what a record was or what a different press, you know, what the different pressings were. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost like, you know, it was fun. (laughs) <laughs> to kind of dig around and have to really kind of excavate these records. Yeah, and yeah. that was that was all, that was all part of it. Just having that blank, you know, just the picture on the cover.
0: I, so you I had really, to
4: kind of be in the know to even like get, the yeah, record. to
0: know what it was. I really like how the the back cover looks too, where the the photo continues around. Like you don't yeah. get the whole photo from just looking at the front. It it adds a bit of drama. to to the back cover.
4: It was it was pretty cool because it was sort of like the first kind of emo record. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like you know, with the emo picture, you know, the songs were very kind of like a little nostalgic. Yeah. And, you know, it it was such a jump from what we were really, you know, just playing ferocious hardcore. So we wanted to make it kind of like a little, you know, uh, sort of closing a door on that whole era. Which is I had a question, which was, what was the response to the
1: record? Were people pissed? Were they excited about it?
4: Uh, I think the response was pretty good. I think people were like, people that were super into hardcore were kind of like WTF. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But I think, you know, the songs were good and the songs had like really good lyrics. And if you could kind of get past the drum machine and that kind of weird snare, you know, the songs are good. Yeah. I think, you know? I, I think, um, yeah, it was, it,
5: it was unique. Like people that were in that scene and like, it was something really unique. Yeah. And that's, I think that probably, anybody that knew I had anything to do with it always told me like, it, it's so cool. Cause it's so different. Yeah. 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 Um, and, uh, I, I think kids like going back to the lyrics, like I, I really think, like, those lyrics are, like... They they cover, like, something... Like, themes that are universal, that are timeless. And, like, kids should really get into that record, I feel like. Like, especially, like, that song, Fame, is so... Like, I have kids myself, and those... Rereading those lyrics coming up for this show, if you read those lyrics and you're a kid, I think they they have great value. I mean, people can have fame in a way on, Mm -hmm. on the internet and with their Instagram and whatever. And it it feeds on itself. And really you aren't ever satisfied by what you get back in that quest. I think that Ray, and and really those lyrics mean a lot. Like kids should really, I, I think a new set would, would do themselves some good to get into it.
0: I think that Ray's lyrics around this time, like with the first shelter record and the disengaged seven inch and this they're very introspective
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um, they really do. If you read all of those three records lyrics, it makes you, it does make you think a lot and it's still applicable to t- today, to people growing up, to the world changing with technology, all that stuff.
2: You know, like yeah. like. It's, it's a. I think it's a continuation of what he was doing, what Raghunath was doing on the uh, last youth of today seven inch, mm-hmm. and in a way, and you know he can of course correct if we're wrong. Like it was almost like a lot of what I liked about the openness of his lyrics during this time. So we'll say like the early shelter, like even up to like attaining the supreme. A lot of times it was almost like he's singing to himself. Yes. History. Like he's like. He's singing fame. Here's a guy that, you know, he, like he's, you know, said himself, he was, you could say was just on the up and up and up, leaves it, gets into spirituality. He's just trying to figure everything out. He's only, you know, early 20s. And it really comes across, I think, especially in this seven inch, like he's kind of saying like, yeah, fame isn't all it's it's cracked up to be. Like, just like Dylan said, like what you think you're going to get back it's it's not necessarily worth it and uh yeah. i i've always really like his lyric, i think he's a masterful lyricist and super underrated uh for you know, just like indie or whatever you want to call it like music like independent you know underground mm. music
3: yeah
4: and and you know at the time too the you know, youth of today had such like a meteoric rise And he was, like, the kind of leader of that whole thing. Like, he was a real kind of, like, iconic person in the hardcore scene, you know, back then. So for him to kind of, like, come out with those really, like, brutally honest lyrics, you know, about... You know most people would kill for that most people would kill to be this big kind of like leader of a straight edge movement and um you know fans and things like that and followers and people that hung on his every word And for him to just come out and like write those lyrics it was like there was sort of like a refreshing kind of like vulnerability in it I yeah thought. that was that was really kind of cool
5: on a on a personal thing like that those lyrics and that record in a lot of ways to me, like there was two things going on, like leading up to that record for me was I would go to CBGB's and I would go to the Brooklyn temple with Ray. And like those two things were happening consistently all the time. And those, like those lyrics really are uh, that time, like where Ray and like, he was like real awakening into this spiritual World and these messages, mm-hmm. and uh, when I hear those those lyrics in that record, I think about that Brooklyn Temple and CBGBs in tandem, and I think of like the real impact those two things had on me. Like, like I've, I, the only reason I stopped eating meat was I, I I met at the time he went by the name Stephen Rosen. I met Stephen Rosen at the Brooklyn right. Town. and I met him. He had just put out a book. And he said, here, I have this book. You should read this book. I wrote it. Um, And it's called Food for the Spirit. And and I read that book and it like like exposed and changed like my whole thinking because I knew some of the animal rights issues and I knew some environmental issues and books that people are into that had gone vegetarian, but I wasn't sold on it. But he sold me on it. And his book and that connection to spirituality – sold me on it. And I think Ray's lyrics on this record, it's like, it sells me, it connects me to, to like some real spiritual things, but in like a nice way. It's a real vehicle. Yeah. yeah. He's, he,
2: yeah. I always yeah. said he's great at making, um, you know, even before I got into spirituality and Krishna consciousness, like his lyrics were relatable, no matter who you were, because, they weren't to me. They weren't like dogmatic. It was just like um, honest and real, and um, you know they're just they're they're great.
4: You know yeah, those uh, two. Those two were especially great. Like I really like I dug those lyrics a lot. Yeah. yeah. This morning I was
0: uh, as I was reminiscing to Porcel about our old stomping ground in Long Beach. I was sitting there with my wife, and we're talking about this record and uh, the No Echo interview and to kind of go back to what Jason asked about the reception of it, Orcel, you said something really profound in this interview when you, you were asked about the reception to it. You said the reception was completely polarized. People either loved it or really hated it, but whatever, you know, I've never been terribly concerned with other people's opinion of me. I just follow my heart and I've done that my entire life. It's worked for me so far. And she was like, fuck, I need to do that. You know, like, and I think this record really encapsulates that. It's like, Hey, I'm just going to make a record for fun. I'm going to put a fucking drum machine on it. I'm going to write these like different chords and Ray's going to do these different vocals and Jordan's going to put it out and cool. Like, you know, and I, I think that that's, all of that with this quote is just a really like striking do what you want, have fun with it and, you know, be proud of it or not, but it's there. And that's punk. Yeah. Yeah, that's punk as fuck. I always say punk means no rules, fuck off, and that's like <laughs> it like I don't I don't care about it. Like I'm going to do this and it's and it's cool.
2: You're not attached to the result.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know what, I always just tried to make music that I liked. I mean when you're a musician, that's all you can really do. And I thought that I thought that record had some had like a vibe to it that was really sort of thoughtful and I really I really liked. You know, it's funny. I'll I'll get people that'll come up to me. People in bands will be like the Ray and record is my favorite record of all time. <laughs> <laughs> <It's dope. laughs> I'm like, those, like, those lyrics are the best lyrics I ever read. That that record had a huge impact on me when I was like a little kid, you know, back in the 90s. And um, that doesn't happen all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? That you put out a yeah. record and people, you know, you get that kind of like demographic of people that have really sort of touched their hearts. Yeah. And to me, that's a success. It's not selling a million records and it's not like, you know, you're getting all this external validation from it but you know if you can make music that really connects with somebody that's the magic of music
0: yeah and i say all the time what's the point of being in a band if you're not going to listen to it right so at least maybe you don't listen to it all the time but if you put this record on you're like wow these are fucking like banging tracks so for sell let's talk about hot tracks on this record there's two tracks if you had to pick one of these Which one, what are you going with? Fame or Broken Glass? Oh, man.
4: (laughs) I'd probably go with Fame. I like that bass part. I liked, I don't know. I I, I really like that one. I can relate to the lyrics too. and uh, Because it was sort of like coming off this big whole wave that I had invested four years of my life into. And uh, yeah, that song. It it spoke to me for sure. I'm going to go with Fame.
1: Jason, hot track. Hot track for this one, between Fame and Broken Glass, I'm going to go Fame. I always thought the bass intro was tight. And then the drum machine, I don't mind the drum machine. I think it's cool. I like the way that it feels. And I think that in my opinion, um, this is some of my favorite vocals that Ray's ever done. And it's because it has this real sense of humility in his voice that I didn't really see before. And it's not something that you really see until Attaining the Supreme. Um, yeah. And it just has it's moments just of it. my favorite shelter. But this is two songs where it's got that same feel to it consistently for both songs. So fame is my hot track. Yeah, there's one you know, really- I will,
4: in- I will say, I will give props to Dylan the beats on that are pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> like if they just cool. sound. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that whole, like, tw- 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 you know, it was, like, yeah. it was a cool beat,
1: actually. Yeah. I like <laughs> New Order <laughs> and Joy Division. And yeah, yeah it, was, it has that. Like,
4: flat... vibe. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you get it.
2: You get it. Yeah. This is yeah. like a winter record. Like it sounds like, like here on the, everyone here besides Javier knows. Right now it's cold as hell. Like this is like the perfect soundtrack for this kind of weather. It has yeah. that cold feel. You guys got to remember, I have
5: a very German last name. So there's a little bit of that German, <laughs> 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 that,
0: that, like cold yes. wave craft work. Yeah. Front yeah blood. You know, blood. <laughs> Greg, what's your hot track?
2: I got to go with fame as well. Um, both songs are cool. Uh, and, Jason mentioning Attaining the Supreme. Now I'm like, these would have fit on Attaining the Supreme, I yep, think, if they had sure. like uh, a live drummer. Um, would have loved to heard what that's like. I do have a funny quick story about the song Broken Glass, though. Um, so my friend uh, Phil, my good friend Phil, did a label called Broken Glass, it was not named after this song. Mm. It was from I think a Missed murder opportunity. City. I think it was a Murder City Devils reference. I, yes. I, I'm not super familiar, but
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, for my senior project in high school, I was like I'm going to do a zine. I'll call it Broken Glass. He was going to help me with it, and uh, I wanted to interview uh, Anthony Papalardo from In My Eyes. And I never got to, but I called him and I talked to him on the phone. He probably has no idea, doesn't remember this. <laughs> and I remember when I said Broken Glass, he's like, oh, like the Ray and Porcel. And I was like, oh, yeah. I, like, I didn't even put two and two together, even though I yeah. had the tape. But, uh, yeah, so, Anthony, if you're listening, pops. I called you in
4: 1998. Well, you know, one kind of interesting thing where people might um, might uh, get something out of this was this, the, this song titled Broken Glass – is a reference to a, to a story in the Srimad Bhagavatam about this kid named Dhruva. And so the story is, there was, this, there was this little kid named Druva. He was like, you know, six years old or something like that. And he had a stepmother and a stepbrother. And it was kind of like the whole evil stepmother scenario. Like the, the stepmother was younger, and the king liked the stepmother like way better than, the, than his mother. And so when he tried to, like his little brother, his stepbrother was playing on the king's lap. And his little brother was just like a toddler. And he was like six years old. And he tried to climb on the king's lap also. But the stepmother was so envious of this kid that she said, what are you doing? You're not, you know, you have no right to get on the king's lap. The king likes me better. You know, I'm the younger, you know, wife that he spends so much time with. He likes my stepson better, even though you're the oldest kid. Like, she really kind of laid into this little six-year-old kid because it wasn't her kid, and she wanted her kid to have exclusive, like, rights to the throne or whatever. And so this, she basically kind of, like, verbally abused her stepson, this kid named Druva. And so Druva went back to his own mother and he started crying to her. And... Um, he basically wanted revenge and he wanted to, and he, he was asking her, like, who can help me? And she said, I can't help you. Maybe God could help you. <laughs> and he said, Where can I find God? And she just kind of like out of the blue, she said, I don't know, but some of these sages, they go to the forest to find God. And so that night, Druva, with his mind bent on revenge, went to the forest to find God to get revenge on his father and his stepmother. And he wanted a kingdom that was greater than his father's. And so he met this guru named Nardamuni. And Nardamuni heard his story and he said, what are you doing? You're a little kid. You're bent on revenge. This is this is so wrong. You shouldn't approach God to be bent with revenge. So you should just go home and just play with your friends. And he said, no, I want to find God. I want to find Krishna. I need to find Krishna. I need to um, get a kingdom greater than my father's. And so when this great guru saw how enthusiastic he was, he said, okay, I'm going to tell you how you can see God. And he gave him a mantra, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. He had him do Hatha Yoga. He had him do Pranayam. He sent him to Vrindavan, the sacred place in India, to be on the banks of the Yamuna River. And so this kid, this little kid, through the process of yoga heightened his consciousness so much that he was actually in it's called samadhi like if you're a yoga person you've heard this term samadhi before it means that you're in trance and you're meditating so much on on god in the heart super soul paramatma that you can actually see and experience divinity in your own heart so he was in deep meditation and he was picturing krishna in his own heart and then he heard a noise and he broke out of his meditation and Krishna was standing right in front of him. He like could see Krishna in his meditation, and then he broke his meditation. And Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead, was standing right in front of him. And like tears were pouring out of his eyes. You can just imagine, like, the source of all love and the source of all beauty. You know, God himself is standing right in front of you. He was so moved. And so Krishna said you've been out here for months, you've been petitioning me, you've been praying to me that you want something, what is it that you want? And he was so embarrassed to ask for a kingdom greater than, greater than his father's because he was having this whole like spiritual revelation of like divine love and that's really what life is all about is like to connect with love to divinity and like reflect that to all other people. So he was experiencing this divine love, and so he said to Krishna, he said, you know, I had this thing that I wanted to ask you, but when when I'm in the diamond of your presence, that revenge that I want on my father, it just seems like broken glass. And so... um, Krishna actually said to him, Krishna actually said to me, said, you know, I, I, I will give you that benediction anyway. I'm going to give you a kingdom greater than your father's. You go back to your kingdom. And he actually ended up having a kingdom greater than his father's, but he didn't care about it anymore. All he wanted was spirituality and materialism seemed like broken glass to him. You know, uh, you well, know in comparison, that diamond of 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 divine love. Two interesting things about that is you've met my youngest
0: and she's very curious about Krishna consciousness and mm-hmm. we were looking up at the stars one night and the pole star is yep. Dhruvaloka which is the kingdom that Krishna granted to Dhruva. and yep. so I was telling her the story about that and she just loves that story you know and um also broken glass is my hot track for this record and now every time i listen to it i'm gonna think about that story so that's a really cool
4: you know component to it yeah it's great story great story great song great story great lyrics well dylan i don't know how you're gonna
0: follow that up but we're gonna ask what your (laughs) hot track is
5: wow okay yeah Uh, No. uh, i mean uh Yeah, it's got to be Broken Glass after that. I mean, come on. I,
0: you know, I think that the drums sound a a bit different on Broken Glass and um, they don't hit quite as hard as Fame. You know, it's not quite as like punchy or dancey, but I, I, I like the drums better, the drum machine better on Broken Glass. And I think that that song just catches me a bit more. Yeah, yeah,
5: I think uh, I agree with you. The drums on Broken Glass, they're they're more integrated. Like, a little bit on Fame, it's kind of like you have the drum machine and then everything else. Mm -hmm. Where it's more integrated in in, in Broken Glass. I agree with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, Wow. I didn't think that we could talk for an hour and a half about these two songs. We could probably (laughs) keep... (laughs) We we always find a way. (laughs) But uh, do you... Greg, Jason, do you have anything else to ask these two about this record while we have them here?
2: I just wanted to ask uh, Dylan, uh, you know, since you're doing tattooing and stuff, where can people find you if you want to uh, plug your place? And
5: uh, I'm very hard to find, but um, if you search, you'll find me.
4: <laughs> Fair enough. For all of you that want to get that mustache man demo cover gb tattoo i'm getting i'm getting the, chiquita. the next time
0: i'm in new york city or in new york at all i'm gonna travel and get the chiquita banana gorilla tattooed on me. okay
5: that sounds cool i'm very <laughs> i'm very true to uh this record in that i'm uh i don't self-promote i'm not into that kind of stuff and like yeah if you're into me cool find me I'm around.
0: Sounds awesome. good. I like. I like
2: that. I think. It yeah, I like that style for, uh, also. Yeah, yeah. respect. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I hope someday that we can uh, track down those other songs that were on here for the expanded. Uh, box set reissue that Revelation will hopefully do. <laughs> if I
5: if I ever find those songs, you guys will be the first to know. Yeah. That, it's always possible. Anything's yeah. possible. Oh, and I want to before uh, this ends while it's in my head because sometimes people do find me and they ask me if I want to sell things or if they can buy things from me, and um, I don't want to. Sometimes I don't always reply, and I do have stuff. But I, I'm i not always comfortable with it, and I don't like, um, like, sometimes somebody will offer me a ridiculous amount of money for something, yeah, and it's man. I appreciate it, and it's awesome. But um, I'm not blowing those people off, but I, I kind of, like, shy away from it because I feel like um, I'm not into the value of it, like, in that way.
1: You're talking about um, records and... Yeah, yeah, records
5: and, and so. shirts and that kind of stuff, and, like... Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I don't answer people and it's not because uh, I don't like them or I don't appreciate their desire for it, but uh, I'm just not into like the value of things that way. And sometimes it kind of freaks me out. Yeah, hey, Dylan, do you,
4: do you have one of those original 12 um, NYC Straight Edge Project X long sleeves?
5: Yeah, I do. That's one of the ones I get hit up for. <laughs> I do have one. <laughs> and like I, I think it's like my only piece of Alex, like that's like that I have. Like I feel like, oh, this is like oh Alex made this. I remember when he made it. Yeah. I remember the screens, like setting up the lights. Like and that I think it was in Williamsburg he set up the lights for that screen. Yeah, to burn the, the screen. Yeah, yeah. And I, I and I remember that so it's like there's like a connection there. But yeah, yeah that's you one of the ones. As a matter of that. fact, yeah. as a
4: matter of fact, Dylan has one of the original Embrace shirts too. Yeah. Al Al Brown only made like a few, like a handful of those. Like I got one, Dylan got one. I think there might have only been three of those shirts.
5: There was not a lot of those, but he gave me one. The one that, uh, another one that he made was that negative approach t-shirt was amazing that he made. Is that that the
2: one with the seven inch cover?
5: Yeah. Those are so great. Such great shirts. Is
2: that what your brother's wear in the uh, music video?
5: Yeah, yeah. Dude,
2: uh, that green one. That's that's ultimate nerd level of me, but I I,
1: I <laughs> <laughs> No, I was right there with you thinking. Of the same I saw Jason's face <laughs> light up. He was like He's like, I know, I well, know what this what's coming. I heard I heard a practice tape of Quicksand and they were playing one of the songs off the seven and she like down now. And they said, Yeah, let's play that, the negative approach song. And I was like, Holy shit, negative approach was an influence on quicksand. Even though I saw the video, I didn't realize it until that moment so
5: yeah big influence
1: i just thought that was cool unreal
5: yeah when, when ray gave me that tied down record I, I got it in a trade from ray that was on non-stop in the shrifles house like <laughs> it's so i good. love that
0: record yeah wow i'm surprised i know i actually really like tied down that's yeah, sick see i like, fast, I like fast hardcore what can i say <laughs> Once in a while, he throws you (laughs) a (laughs) curveball
2: and likes something that he should like.
0: (laughs) What can I say? You're still not going to get me to listen to your DC hardcore stuff, but (laughs) we'll keep going. But hey, uh, Porcel, Dylan, we really appreciate you joining us here today. Yes, thank Um, you. This is the absolute... Highest level of nerdery on this record that we can think of. <laughs> and I think people are going to be really stoked to hear these stories and this information. So, man, thanks so much. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much yeah, for, so did for I. taking time out to talk All right, to great. us. great.
5: Okay, no problem. I'm glad to be here.
4: Cool. All right, guys. Take care. Killing, good, so good to see you again, brother. Yeah, yeah. See you soon.
0: I was I legit was thinking in my head at like 5:30 this morning when I was awake at an ungodly hour, like, oh, I sent the the invite to Porcel. I should do like Greg did with Balaram Shakti's invite and tell him to pop in like a half an hour late, so that I were all like, oh, Porcel's here, oh. and he was like earlier than <laughs> he he's was the ever first been. One, yeah. So, it was, yeah. but I'm I'm actually glad that I did invite him. And I 100% didn't know if he was going to show up. I didn't text him. I just was like, here's the invite. And actually, BCC'd him on that email. So you guys didn't know he was coming. Uh And it's so cool when these guys in these bands, these people, see each other on the Zoom call. And they're like, oh, it's so good to see you. And then they start talking to each other. They start interviewing each other. They start interjecting stuff like, oh, you remember this? And so... We could have done this interview with just Dylan and had some great conversation, but the fact that Porcel came in and had these like extra bonus things to talk about it just made it. It just it just kicked it up a notch. Yeah, agreed. It's always Porcel such
2: a Porcel such a he's a pro podcast. Guy. Yeah, dude, that's he's, what I was going to say. So great, he's <laughs> like, like, yeah. like he's like what well, just you know he's awesome. He's just. He's just uh he's like meant, you know, he's meant for this. He has that personality. And and you know, when I had reached out to Dylan at first, uh and I was like, hey, we're you know because as we've talked about when we started the pod, is like we um we wanted to kind of talk to people that maybe don't necessarily get talked to all the time. That's not to say we didn't get, you know. The cells and the Ray Capos and Walters and everything, but uh, when I reached out to Dylan, he's like, and "He's like, sure." I said, "You know, will you talk about?" He said, "Sure." I'm not as entertaining as my brother, but like he was very entertaining. <laughs> oh yeah, he was yeah great, he was great to great. talk to and super cool and fun. Yeah. and uh, you know, I, I think um, this was just a really—I uh, don't want to say light, but it was like just fun. But there was actually some real deep conversation.
0: Yeah, that
2: came out uh it was like
0: and and i mean this seven inch is such an interesting part of the revelation catalog and porcel kind of you know touched on it that it's like this shit is super experimental and it was just like hey we're just gonna play wacky stuff and do something weird and jordan's gonna put it out and you know revelation could have Soldiered on without the Ray and Porcel 7 inch, it's not like yeah. a, leg- a legacy act, but um, it's a really cool snapshot of what was happening at the time,
3: yeah. yeah.
2: Agreed. And uh, I was thinking while we were talking to those guys that uh, my first time hearing this was on a cassette, so you'd be Same happy here. to have my friend, um, he had gotten, I guess, from his girlfriend time, my friend Matt. Uh, his girlfriend at the time's brother had a couple tapes. So that was how I heard Attaining the Supreme, the Ray and
0: Purcell tape, and 108 Holy Name. So. I think if memory serves me correctly, because I don't have it in front of me and I actually don't own it anymore, I used to, the Ray and Purcell cassette is in one of those Norelco boxes that has the black back. So that you can't see through it. I think that's what was. And then the um, cassette itself is that like kind of dirty white color, which there is a pressing plant that still makes those, and they make it out of recycled computer casings. Oh, weird! They like cut up the plastic and make it into cassettes, which is really really cool. And I mean, a a two-song cassette is like such a novelty and um as someone who runs a record label that primarily does cassettes normally that kind of stuff would be in, in a single right But the write, cardboard which slip it's like thing. called it's called an o's o card um because it just goes around and then it slips out and those were made a lot in the 80s and 90s yeah i had bands um red hot Do... chili
2: peppers um I think, give it away. And sure, the, so it would the be like... B-side was a, right.
0: Search and Destroy by the Stooges. So it would be like one song, like one single, one hit song, and then the B-side, either it would be one song on each side of the cassette, or it would be two songs that repeat on each song, and, and that other song would be a B-side that's like not on the album, could be live, could be a remix, something like that. So for me, because singles and... Like cassette, you know, singles and maxi EPs and all that mm-hmm.
1: stuff
0: are a such a cool component of of physical copies. Shit. Yeah, that's that is my shit. I will nerd out. Like <laughs> one of my prized possessions, two of my prized possessions in the cassette world are a Blur, um, girl boys and girls, girls and boys, okay single. I have a Jawbreaker single and i have a sealed Casingle by the swedish band kent that came out in 95 and it's still sealed so like dude like what the fuck like collecting these stuff is so so cool and the b side of the blur do you know i off the top of my head that one i guess i can't consider it a uh possession if i can't even Mm. think about what's on it but it just looks so (laughs) how about the jawbreaker
2: what's the jawbreaker i think
0: the jawbreaker is uh oyster and million maybe is it a promo or did they actually make a
2: single of it
0: it's it's in the o card and it's got uh it's like a pink cover with like maybe charles bronson or some shit on it it's super chewed up that i got it it looks like it kind of looks like a smith's layout in a way
1: okay Um, so do anyway, we all we all heard this on tape because I heard this on tape also I went I think to
0: probably the first time I heard it was on cassette cuz I've never owned the record of it right? I've That's never owned it. the
1: record I owned the cassette at one point but I went to um Smash Records in Georgetown now they're in Adams Morgan in DC I picked this up primarily probably because it was on the cheaper side and I would go for tapes because they were more affordable but uh, we took this tape home and listened to it on the drive back from D.C. to Alexandria. And uh, I just really love these songs. I know that mm-hmm. it's a drum machine. I don't care. It never really bothered me.
0: I don't oh. think that I would like these songs if it was a regular drummer. I wouldn't yeah. say that I, I, wouldn't I wouldn't like it. it but it, but it, just wouldn't it would I have, have a different feel. It, yeah,
2: It yeah. needs that, the drum machine. Um, yeah. Also, just in case so no one corrects us, the Jawbreaker, it's actually – uh, Lurker Two, Dark Son of Night uh-huh. Hear You, and then Million on the other uh-huh. side.
0: Yeah. And is that's gonna... Is that Steve McQueen on the cover? Uh, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> but it does look like a Smiths record kind of, right? Like, it definitely
2: looks like a Smiths type thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um,
2: that's a cool thing to have, man. It is. It I'm, is. I'm cool. happy for
1: you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.
2: And I hope people listening uh, are happy for you well, too. Well, what I about my,
1: a... what about my Inside Out, uh, my Inside Out tape that I only have the cover for?
0: Yeah, I'm very happy that you have. I'm happy. Cover yeah. Yeah, I, the inside thank you. Out. Yeah, Where's yeah. my recognition? Um,
1: <laughs> You're looking for
0: fame. Oh. Um, you know what's interesting too about the physical release of this seven inch that the, it does come on purple vinyl, which I know, we, you know, I we don't talk, we don't way. talk about pressing a lot, but that purple that goes with the purple cover, yeah, it man, cool. it looks so good. And then I didn't know until this record aficionado book that there were in the sometime in the nineties, they found a box of just the records and they made a special cover for it and they yeah. only did a hundred and they're stamped i would imagine I, that those are highly collectible i've and, never seen one in person yeah i've, I've never i'd never heard of it there it's not on discogs like yeah for oh it's sale. not even on discogs well not for sale it might you be can on see images the, of it yeah but um, because
2: i it's funny i got mine before we started doing this like a couple years ago
0: mm-hmm. um, oh you own it
2: Discog- not that one okay no. I got uh, just a regular, just regular black, black vinyl. Black vinyl mm-hmm. Which um, they
0: made 4,000 of. So, I mean, first, first press of this was like over 4,000. Uh, one pressing of this. I don't think it, it hasn't been repressed, correct?
1: I don't think so.
2: Record
0: Aficionado says... This one thousand, here, the limited final pressing. Yeah. Record Aficionado 100. said there's 1,000 on purple and 4,000 on black vinyl. So, I mean, 1,000 on purple that's not really a small amount. It should be fairly easy to find, but these records, I feel like they go for what, 50, 75 bucks. So the purple,
2: purple it looks like the median on Discogs is like $33. Oh, that's not
0: too bad. And then no, the
2: high bad. end is 65. Mine's just, I just have the black that was like $5 or something Sure, yeah. Uh, that I got from, uh, is it Jeremy from Touche Amore? Uh huh, Jeremy Bolm. Yeah, he has, uh, uh, he has, I guess, sells stuff on Discog. So, hit
3: mm-hmm.
2: a, a bow to him if he's listening. It's mm-hmm. a, in pristine shape. Nice. It was only like five bucks. So. Yeah, he probably nice. bought it
0: like many other people did because it was on Revelation Records. Listen to you it. You know who's
2: selling a purple like, one, Jason? Who? You know who's selling a purple one for, thir- for $70 right now?
1: Uh-oh. Take it to us.
2: Charlie Flexen,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yo, uh, text him right now and offer him twenty five. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, for those
2: that don't know, Charlie Flexen played in a yeah. Count Me Out with he James played bass Z. for it. <laughs> Count Me Out.
1: Good friend. Sounds like Off,
0: offer him a dollar <laughs> <him> ten.
2: <laughs> no, offer him a Patreon episode. Yeah, I think, I'll tell you what, we'll give you a Patreon actually <laughs> purple record. So. Bit of Bo Charlie.
0: Yes. Well, um, I don't know what's next because I don't have – this is I the do. end of the book. Yeah, we know. What's the next episode? Into
2: another self-titled. Damn. We've been waiting
0: for this for months. Yes, we have. I say and this
2: about everyone, but it's true.
0: <laughs> and these are all I, great. I can't wait to talk about that record like, i cannot I wait can't,
2: to talk to redacted. i can't wait
0: to talk to you two about this record after the interview fair you yeah. know what i mean like just to That's talk, if we talk find, about just yeah. talk about the record
2: if we find people if we find redacted and redacted and maybe yes. even redacted
0: yeah i yeah. mean it'll be really cool if we do get to talk to people if we do get to interview Absolutely. people in the band about this but um, like we I say, have... there's
2: never a guarantee. We've just, I, I really consider that from the Gorilla Biscuit seven inch on, we've just been lucky. Mm. And I hope people know that like, there's going to be a point where it's probably just
0: the three of us talking. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we've we're just... interesting enough and I feel like we've built up a fan base, even if they don't know our names, but maybe they know our voices <laughs> by now, right? Yeah. Like, oh, I, I was listening to this Is episode that real? and somebody said this
1: and it's like, yeah, people don't know. Dude us you have the golden pipes there me yeah Uh, yeah you know what chris bratton said it growing up i
0: hated my voice i I thought it was so awkward and i don't know if i've said this i'm sure that i have i'm telling the same war story uh integrity when they played this is hardcore that year i strained my vocal cords so bad between talking over bands selling merch singing along for bands, singing along for integrity. I think that I permanently damaged my vocal cords because I've tried to, I, after that I was in a band, I tried to scream backup vocals on the record and completely blew my voice out after one time. So I think that I just changed the sound of my voice, but all three of us have such distinct voices and, um, do we have an accent? And I know
2: they you say have an, I have an accent. For sure, yeah, for sure. I have, yeah. I have you,
0: a Philadelphia. Is it a Philadelphia accent? Right? Uh, it's some sort of East Coast. Yeah, but, it's you a know, Philly accent. We're also because we're playing different roles here, and we got the nice guy, and we got the heel, and we got the straight man. You know what I mean? Um, who's, the, so, who's the heel? I'm the heel. Jason's the heel. I, no, I'm the <laughs> heel. <laughs> Jason's the nice guy. You're the straight right. man. I'm the straight I, man. You guys uh, can it's, we it's rotate? Interchangeable. But Jason
2: yeah. does. Jason have an accent? It's a little southern, isn't Do it? Sometimes, I yeah. Got you got a little drawing? bit of a twang. You got in a little, little bit of a uh, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: yeah that's I a Richmond Richmond. I don't Richmond style. have any like I spent. No, some you time just sound like as an asshole. A kid. I just spent some time as a kid <laughs> in in Albuquerque, and then grew up in Orange County. So there's no culture to speak yeah. of in Southern California. I'm sure I say bro and dude. Do you say bro? Some, bro, listen, sometimes <laughs> it'll come out. Um, That's funny. But you know where I actually, bro came into my vernacular because of my kid, my oldest okay. kid. She says it all the time. She's like, bro, really? And I'm, But if you kinda, say
1: it natural, it just sounds cool because it's just, right. it's, it's natural. Sounds, You're not trying to force it. When you try to yeah. force it, it doesn't sound dude. bad.
0: No way. Wait. So yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, bro. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we really do talk like that out here, but anyway, um, I'm super stoked to talk about the, into another record. Um, There's actually a California connection, several California connections to into another and to that record that we're going to hopefully discuss. And um, yeah, I'm stoked. Like this has been uh, the past couple episodes that we've done. The Chaka interview was fucking wild yeah, to, it's cool. to, to do and to, to listen to, and people were stoked. Um, it was cool talking to Dylan and Porcel, and, man, let's just keep riding this wave as long as we can. Yeah, I'm
1: with you. Let's keep riding it, bro. Yep. It. Chaka's doing a podcast, right? Yes, F yes. with me. F with, F with me. me podcast. First I, you guessed, know what?
0: It's uh, Sergio. Sergio from Quixen. That you guys should nominate me. Tones to be
1: on yo I would, podcast, yeah, I would love to hear you on there it would be interesting and
0: yeah. and Hob
1: I'm stoked to go to New York and to get some matching Chiquita banana tattoos oh man and have from some Dylan Trifles and when this is some all over and with Drew yes man I can't wait
0: yeah yeah maybe who else get, can we look at there's a lot of people now I know in New York uh, maybe we could get JJ to give us a walking tour <laughs> of the Lower East Side
1: and poor poor cell will shut the door on us and say we've we've hung out too much
0: yeah
1: just kidding. No, no, no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Awkward.
2: <laughs> all right, well. like, Cut this part, please. Yeah, yeah please cut this, this. Dude, part. please cut this part. I love when app I app hear, app. by the way, on a podcast that like, oh, I'm going to edit that. But then I'm hearing it and I'm like, oh, it wasn't edited out. Yeah. Look <laughs> at yeah, that. Don't very worry. Rare. So, all right.
1: That's all I got. Yeah, Next time. That's it. Next time. Into another. Peace.
0: Possibly self-titled, possibly titled. We'll find out. Tune in. What's up, everybody? This is Javier, the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons: Billy Tenell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, John Cowell, Dollar Slice Bootlegs quiet keith nate of head to wall fame o'neill the horse fucker siren records rob moran tim Shear, and mike the mosher if you want to help us out head over to www.whereitwentpodcast.com you find a bunch of info and other cool shit there see you next time